Hallelujah to the one who set us free. Amen. You know what? I, I miss the auditorium, but Jesus can be praised in a cafeteria. Amen. He's the king over all creation, and he deserves our praise no matter where we go, no matter what time of day it is. And boy, it, is, it just brings, it's like water to my soul. I hope it's like water to your soul to sing praises to Jesus. Uh, there's nothing like it in all the world. It's, it's beautiful. I'm going to invite you to open in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, New Testament. <clears throat> and if you learn this clever little trick in Awana or Sunday school, uh, you got go eat popcorn, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. You're going to use that now. I know you are. Galatians. We're in Galatians chapter 5 today. And thank you, Karis, for, for praying for us. We want to ask the Lord that he would open our eyes, that we may behold wonderful things out of his law today. Lord, do it for us. Galatians chapter 5. We're going to read the entire chapter, 26 verses. It's not too long. So follow along as I read aloud, and I think the verses will also be behind me. You can follow along. Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. It says this, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, and the one who's troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish that those who unsettle you would un, uh, emasculate themselves. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. 
And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. This is the word of the Lord. It's been a few weeks since I've had a Lord of the Rings uh, illustration, so I'm going to bring one up today. (laughs) As you know, it's like one of my favorite things to pull from. I'm trying to diversify, but I keep coming back to the greatest story I've ever read other than the Bible. So uh, along the journey that Frodo and Sam are on, they, they come across a, a, an unexpected companion, right? Does anybody know his name? Gollum. Gollum. Smeagol was his original name. And he got twisted and he got deformed by this object that he found in the caves of Moria, right? Is that right? Yeah. He found it in the caves of Moria, and he found it, and it latched onto him more than he latched onto it. It was the ring of power. And, and we see this in the movie, and it's, it's really creepy as he's, like, massaging this object, and he calls it his what? His precious, my precious. You see, he thought he had this object that he loved so much, but really, as the story goes along over hundreds and hundreds of years, as he has this object in his possession, we find that it possesses him more than he possesses it. He becomes enslaved to it. And Samwise Gamgee, Frodo's friend, and I'm nerding out here, Lord of the Rings, right? Sam could see the difference in this creature. This creature had two parts to him, really. He had the the sinister stinker, Gollum, and he had the submissive slinker, Smeagol, coexisting together. But this Smeagol, who was once a creature much like Frodo and, and Sam, had become enslaved by this ring of power. And the stinker, Gollum, wanted to kill Frodo and Sam and take the ring for himself The slinker, Smeagol, was submissive and helpful, hoping that he could become his true self forever and be freed from this enslavement. But the sad part of Smeagol's story is that eventually the stinker wins out and and Gollum betrays his companions to Shelob the spider. I hate spiders. It's like one of the, get nightmares about Shelob. No matter how hard Smeagol tried, he could not break free from the enslavement of the power of the ring over his whole being. Do you ever feel like that? Do you ever feel like in your person there's sometimes two of you? The stinker and the slinker? The one who who wants to do the right thing at some points, but at other times you feel this urge inside of you that is enslaving you and pulling you away from the thing that you know you ought to do. I feel like that. I feel like there's a battle waging war in me every single day. The stinker and the slinker. We're in a series right now called The Gospel Plus Nothing. You add anything to an equation, you change the outcome of that equation. And and the apostles and, and the leaders of the early church in Acts 15, as we saw several weeks ago, they stood up to those that were seeking to add something that was very important, an outward symbol that the, the Jewish males would take upon themselves as little babies. They would circumcise their boys as external marks that they belonged to the people of God, to Israel. 
And so these Jews are coming along and they're seeing that there are non-Jews, Gentiles that are being added to the people of God, to the church. And they say, well, that's nice, but you need to add this right to show that you truly are a part of God's people. And the apostles and, and the leaders, they said, no, 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 no way. No way. No way. That's not what Jesus taught us. That's not what God is showing us by sending the Spirit to come upon the Gentiles in the same way that the Spirit came upon us. And that was simply through believing the truth of the gospel that Jesus Christ died for sins, was buried, and rose again to give us eternal life. We trust and believe in Him alone. And that gets us in. Jew, Gentile alike. And they stood up on that day and they showed us, and they taught us that the gospel plus nothing saves us. Praise be to God. Last week, we saw in Romans that Paul was applying the same truth to those that were trying to hold to the law of Moses, trying to obey all of the commands so that they could be declared right before God. But we saw that's impossible. Why? Is it because the law is bad? No, it's because we're, we're bad. We all fall short of God's glory. And the only way that we could be declared right before God is that there had to be a sacrifice for our sins. And Jesus alone was the one who could pay that perfect sacrifice to make us right. And so we see that the gospel plus nothing saves us. The gospel plus nothing justifies us. So great, great. So I I know I've got future salvation, right? I've got the gift of heaven, and I know that my sins can be forgiven. But I'd like to know, not just about the future, is there any hope for me now, the stinker and the slinker? Is there any hope for me now? Some days I feel like Gollum, not like Smeagol. Do I have to remain miserable? Do I have to live the Christian life torn wretched, defeated, pitiful, like the stinker golem. Big question we want to ask today is, does the Christian message offer any hope that I can experience real, lasting change deep down in my heart now, here, today? Not, not just my behaviors, not, not just patterns, not just coping mechanisms, but real change, real transformation Not just mental health, but real spiritual change from the heart. And I don't want to make light of mental health issues. They're real, but friends, there are only so many mechanisms that can help us externally. We need a heart change internally. Is there any hope of freedom or victory in this life to get me out of the slavery to sin that I feel every day. And this is our big idea this morning from the text. The gospel plus nothing liberates us. The gospel plus nothing nothing liberates us. Now, we're looking at another book that Paul wrote, a letter that Paul wrote to churches that are in the region of Galatia. Some of the other letters that he wrote were to churches in a specific city. Galatian is a region, uh, central Turkey, modern-day Turkey. But these churches, they were facing a dilemma. They initially believed the good news of the gift of eternal life that is received by faith in Jesus alone, apart from the law of Moses, apart from circumcision. But there were those who were creeping into their meetings and teaching another message. They were teaching that a person had to add Jewish circumcision and strict adherence to the law in order to be, to be right and to stay right with God. They had believed in Jesus, these Galatian believers, and they received the gift of the Spirit through the, uh, by turning away from idolatry and trusting in Jesus to rescue them apart from the works of the law. 
But now they were being tempted and they were adding the law to their life because they believe that's how we're really going to get right and stay right. This is how we're going to win the battle between the stinker and the slinker. We got to add the law. We got to have the rules to keep us in line and to keep us right. But Paul the apostle, he wasn't having any of it. In fact, in in chapter three, verses one through three, he says this. He says, oh, foolish Galatians, who's bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Is that our hope here as a church? Is that our hope as a people who seek to want to get rid of the stinker and become one who's truly following Jesus? We're going to add a bunch of laws that are going to keep us in line. Friend, there isn't a law on the planet that can keep you in line and keep your heart in check from the passions of the flesh that you and I have every single day. And so Paul, he writes this entire letter to say, no, it's the gospel from first to last and everything in between. In chapter four, Paul teaches the Galatians that through an analogy that going back to the law is like going back into slavery. He's trying to give them images of, do you remember what it was like for the people of Israel? They were enslaved in Egypt and they wanted to go back. Don't go back into slavery. But the gospel of Jesus is liberation. And so we come to our section in chapter five. We're going to see three things, but, but what, we want to, what we want to see here are the implications. Since Jesus liberates us, since Jesus liberates us, because our big idea this morning is that the gospel plus nothing, the gospel, the good news about who Jesus is and what he's done for us, that liberates us. Since Jesus liberates us, the first thing we want to see this morning is that we don't and we must not go back into slavery. Don't go back to slavery. Again, verse one, it says, do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Why? Because Christ has set us free for freedom. He didn't come in and defeat the enemies and break the chains just to put us in a whole new set of chains with the law. He said, no, I've set you free from those chains so that you could be fully free from those chains forever and ever and ever. Praise be to God. Hallelujah, our, our, our risen hope, right? Hallelujah to the one who sets us free. But yet so often we add things like rules and laws and regulations that put handcuffs right back on us again. Paul says don't do it. Don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. Verses two through six, he says, look, I want you to see something here. You're trying to add to Jesus. You're trying to change the equation. You're saying it's the gospel that got you in, but you must add this external rite of circumcision to be truly right. You must add adherence to the law of Moses to be truly right. And what Paul is saying here is you can't trust in Jesus plus anything else. Anything else, including circumcision to set you free. Any addition to Jesus changes the whole equation. In fact, he says, if you add circumcision, he's using this play on words. If you add the cutting away of the foreskin to identify you as one of God's people, you are cutting yourself away from Christ. Friends, anytime we add something to Jesus, we remove ourselves from Jesus. My daughter's a baker, and I'm learning to bake with her, and she's so good at it. But she tells me, Dad, you got to follow the recipe to a T. Like when, we, when Laura and I are grilling or cooking, I watch her, and she's adding ingredients all the time. Baking, you got to stick 
to the recipe. Because if you add anything too much, it just changes it completely. We can't add anything to the gospel or else we have something different than the gospel. Verses 7 through 12, though, he, he goes on to say this. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? Who hindered you? And Paul is saying this. It wasn't God. It wasn't the one who calls you. These guys are coming in and they're stirring the pot here, saying that they're coming in the name of God, but it's not God who's changing your mind about this. There is another one, and it's from the father of lies, from Satan, the deceiver himself. Any addition to the pure message of the gospel is deception, and it comes from the father of deception, from Satan. You see, Satan, he doesn't need you to reject the gospel completely. He just wants to tempt you to add your own self-sufficiency a little bit. He's not saying, I don't want you to bake a cake. I just want you to add a little bit of your own self-righteousness in there so that you could say it's your cake, that you've done it, that you're self-sufficient, that you could be righteous in and of yourself. If Satan can get you to add just a little to the gospel, he knows that it can change the whole equation from you and that you'd be severed from Christ. And he's got you. Friends, is vitally important. In fact, Galatians chapter 1, Paul says, if anybody, if I or an angel or any other apostle or anybody comes to you preaching another gospel, not that there is another one, but he says, if anybody comes preaching to you another message, let that person be accursed. He couldn't have picked harsher, more black and white language than that. Let that person be accursed. But we want to go back into slavery. Paul says, don't do it. Don't go back to slavery. Don't be like those people of Israel who were wandering in the wilderness and thinking to themselves, oh man, I miss all the awesome vegetables. I miss the river Nile. I miss all the crops that we had. Oh, that we were back in Egypt. And Moses is sitting there, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Do you know what you were going back to? You want to go back to the slavery. You want to go back to the whips. You want to go back to the chains. You want to go back to making bricks on your own with your hands and sweating under the sun all day and being forced to do hard labor. But you want to go back to that? You want to go back to slavery? Back in 1973, Stockholm, Sweden, there were four hostages that were taken during a bank robbery. Now, what's interesting is after they were uh, let go, they, they defended their captors after being released and they wouldn't testify against them. And from that event, the psychologists and psychiatrists, they, they've developed uh, an idea of what's called the Stockholm Syndrome. And they've observed that sometimes emotional bonds may be formed between captors and captives during intimate time together. It's a coping mechanism to a captive or, or an abusive situation. People develop positive feelings toward their captors or abusers over time. Friends, we were born as slaves to the law. And it fed our self-righteous spirits. It fed uh, our, our feelings of, of thinking that we could do things without God, but really what the law does is it reveals our sin. And Jesus is saying, don't fall for the Stockholm Syndrome about slavery to the law. Don't give in to the captors. Don't give in to Satan. He's just trying to entice you with a little bit to say, if I could just sprinkle in for you a little bit on top of Jesus, I know that I got you because you don't have the gospel anymore. Friends, we are not called to be sympathetic to anything that would change or alter or, 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 or make even the slightest tweak or difference to the message 
of the gospel of Jesus. These are non-negotiables, friends. Do not be sympathetic to any other message than the message of Jesus Christ and Him crucified for your sins and my sins. Why would we want to go back? Not because we love slavery per se, but because we love self. We love Gollum. We, we trust in, in Him. The gospel is a call to be united to Jesus. And in doing so, you know what happens in the gospel? We die to self. So we become sympathetic to going back into slavery because it brings us back to focusing on who? On me, on ourselves. But Paul says this in in, in chapter 2, verses 19 to 20. He says, through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. That's not comfortable, friends. That's hard. We sang it this morning. Yet not I, but through Christ in me. If more of you means less of me, take everything. It's no longer I who live, Paul says, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, in this body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Some of us love the religion of self. We love having control. We love making a name for ourselves. We see a list of rules and we love to follow them. Some of you out there are rule keepers. And that, that's not a bad thing. But, but if you think that your rule keeping can somehow make you righter before God, you got it all mixed up. We love the rules. We love the tasks. We can't wait to check them off, off the list, Right? We, we can't wait to tackle those tasks. Deep down, many of us want to be our own saviors and we want to be our own lords. Rather than crucifying the self with Christ, we want to hold on to and cling to self as long as possible, believing like Gollum that there's still an ounce of good there. We're be- Smeagol believing the ring has no power over us, but in the end, if we don't die to self and to the law, we just put ourselves right back under the yoke of slavery. And Paul says, don't go back. Don't go back. So he says, don't go back, but, but he also addresses another form of slavery. You see, there's, a, there's another perspective other than putting self under the yoke of slavery to the law. It's another path of self, self-indulgence. And we see that in, in, in number two here. So if, if you don't go back to slavery and you want to be free, don't use your freedom to kill each other. Don't use your freedom now that Jesus has given to you and abuse it so that you're killing one another. Verse 13 says, don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. This is a false view of freedom now that he's addressing. He's taking the pendulum and he's showing them over here, don't go back to slavery, but then he's swinging the pendulum all the way over here because that's what we tend to do as human beings. I do it all the time. We we say, I'm going to resist that with all my might and I'm going to swing it all the way over here. Free grace in Jesus and freedom in him means I can do whatever I want then, right? I don't need any law. He says, don't use your freedom as an opportunity of the flesh. Some of us feel the oppressiveness of slavery to the law and religion of self, so we take the other approach. I'll shake all off of that completely and be free. I'll set the course. I'll take charge. I'll let my own self-expression and desires guide me. After all, aren't we saved by grace? Isn't God love? He wants me to be free. Why would he ever deny me of my desires? Friends, Paul is saying this is deadly. 
This is deadly. You can't swing the pendulum all the way over to this other side of self and think that your freedom can be used for your own sinful passions. Freedom cannot be defined as doing whatever I want, whenever I want. That's not true freedom. That's the freedom that often we, that's the definition we often use for freedom here even in our culture. Freedom means that I am free to express myself however I want, whenever I want. But it's not true freedom. You may feel free for a moment from the requirements of religion and law keeping, but you're just showing another side of self that is enslaved. That side, that self is enslaved to your destructive passions, your destructive passions. This is what happens when we all decide today to just do whatever feels right. Well, we may go along for a little while, but eventually our passions, your passions, my passions will collide with one another. Do you not see this, friends? If you're just living however you want, and I live however I want, we may go along for a while, but eventually my passions are going to be different than your passions. And we're going to be trying to share the same space together. And what is our solution going to be? Oh, I'll defer to you. No, I'm not going to defer to you. That's taking away my freedom. I'm not willing to give up my free self-expression. And so what do we do? We kill each other. We kill each other. We consume one another. I'm full of movies, I guess, today. Another movie, Gladiator, right? Remember the scene in in Gladiator where Commodus, the the Roman emperor, he's, he's feeling just enraged because everybody loves his arch nemesis, Maximus. And so he doesn't know what to do. There's a senator that comes along named Falco, and, and Falco gives him an idea, but he doesn't give it to him directly. He shares a story with him, and Falco says this. He says, I've been told of a certain sea snake, which has a very unusual method of attracting its prey. It will lie at the bottom of the ocean as if wounded. Then its enemies will approach, and yet it will lie quiet still. And then its enemies will take little bites of it, and yet it remains Still, in commonness, he gets the idea. He sees that I can let my enemies come around me, and they may take little bites of me, but in the end, I'm going to bite them and devour my enemies. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let them get so close that they're within striking distance, and then I've got them. Commodus says, so we will lie still and let our enemies come to us and nibble. That's what freedom looks like when we say, I want want freedom to do whatever I want. We take little nibbles from each other, little bit by little bit. And after a while, I can only take so many nibbles. And I strike out, and I devour, and I consume, and I hate, and I kill. Friends, that's not freedom. That's not freedom. Freedom is not free to say, I can do whatever I want, whenever I want. Why? Because eventually our desires, your desires, my desires, and our passions are going to collide. We're going to end up killing each other. That's what we see in our day and age. In the name of freedom, do we see peace and joy and love and compassion and cooperation? What do we see? Eating, devouring Harming, killing. So Paul says, you can't swing the pendulum over there either. Freedom isn't going back to the yoke of slavery under law, and freedom is not doing whatever you want whenever you want. He says, here's what I want you to see what true freedom looks like. Verse 13b through 14, he says, do not use your uh, freedom as an opportunity of the flesh, but through love, through love, serve one another. 
For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Paul is saying, this is what freedom is all about. It's not about fueling your self-indulgence and your passions. It's having the freedom to say, I'm no longer enslaved to the law and my sinful passions so I can actually love God and I can experience the joy of living in God's family and in his community. And what should God's family, free community look like? Not everybody doing whatever they want, but loving each other, serving each other, caring for one another. Not just looking out for my own needs, but as Paul says in Philippians, but looking out for the needs of others, counting others as more significant than myself. Friends, this is the true path to freedom. Because if you think that's not freedom, then Jesus must have been the most enslaved man on the planet. You know, the King of kings and the Lord of lords said, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He was sounding the alarm and saying, this is what true freedom looks like. Not being forced to serve, but being willing to serve because my heart has been set free. So we must not submit to a yoke of slavery. We can't use our freedom to kill each other. The path of self-righteousness is slavery to the law. The path of self-expression and self-indulgence is slavery to the flesh. So how can I live free? How can I live liberated? How can I not be the stinker or the slinker any longer? How can I live free before God? And, and Paul tells us in verses 16 to 26, verse 16 is very clear. He says, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. I love what he says over in Romans chapter 8, verse 6. He says, for to set the mind on the flesh, on your passions, on your desires, it's death. But, but the mind set on the spirit is life and peace, freedom, liberation. This is where it's at. This is one of the most beautiful benefits of the good news about Jesus is that he has died for your sins and he has sent the Holy Spirit, the very presence of God himself to live inside you, to live in you. Friend, if you know Jesus today, we got God sitting in this room, not because of you, but because of God in you, the Holy Spirit. This is freedom. This is life. This is peace. And so it, it takes away this side of the pendulum to say, you can't live like hell. You can't just live however you want. Why? Because you got the Spirit living in you. And he gives you true freedom. So it brings the pendulum closer to this side. But in case we can swing it all the way back to the other end, to the yoke of slavery, verse 18, Paul says, if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Oh, it brings it back closer to the center. The Spirit doesn't lead you to slavery, to the law, or to the flesh, but leads you in liberty to know, love, and serve Jesus, to honor him to praise him, to love him, to adore him. This is freedom. Jesus himself said, he said, Father, this is eternal life, that they may know you in Jesus Christ whom you've sent. It's not a greater knowledge of self, although it comes with that. A greater knowledge of self comes with knowing our God better, truly, deeply, but really freedom isn't so in self-expression. It's not in bringing yourself under a law of rules and regulations and religion. It's bringing yourself under Jesus and seeing that he is the one who has set you free. 
He sets us free. But there's a battle going on inside of us, right? Verse 17, again, he says, For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. I know I keep referring back to it, but Paul says in Romans 7, 24 to 25, he's he's talking about a war that's going on inside him between slavery to the law and slavery to his sinful flesh. He says, wretched man that I am. This is the apostle talking. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Think of the battle between Smeagol and Gollum. You see it right there in the apostle Paul. But here's where he says is the key to freedom. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. That's freedom. That's freedom. This battle that's going on inside of you with my sinful and me, with our sinful passions and desires and our knowledge of knowing that we've got the spirit inside of us, they're at battle. So what do I do? I look to the freedom that God has given me. I look to his freedom. I say, Lord, I am willing to trust that you've got enough spirit, enough Jesus, enough power to help me so that I do not have to lose the battle any longer. I want to live free. I want to live free. Verse 19, Paul lays it out. How do you know if you're living in the flesh? How do I know if I'm losing the battle? It's clear and we know what that feels like, right? Verse 19 describes the defeat of living in the flesh. It's corrupt. It consumes It devours self and one another. It's jealousy, immorality, impurity, enmity, strife, envy, drunkenness, orgies, all of these things. They serve the passions of the flesh, but in the end, it consumes and it devours you and it devours me. So if you want to know, am I losing or winning the battle, what is your heart and your behavior filled with? The passions of the flesh, the actions of the flesh, Or, on the other side, the fruit of the Spirit. And I love the contrast here. There's the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. The Spirit produces fruit in you and me. Let's just read it together if you've got your Bible open again. I I don't have time to cover all of these, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. Love. Do you want to feel love? Do you want to know love? Live in the freedom that God has given you in the spirit. Joy. This isn't just a a, a general happiness that's naive to the cares of this world. No, it's joy in the midst of the circumstances of pain. Joy in Jesus. Peace that surpasses all understanding. Patience even under suffering and enduring evil. Kindness even to your enemies. Goodness, the goodness that God produces in you, faithfulness to Him and perseverance, gentleness with one another, self control to say no to the passions of the flesh. And against such things, there is no law. There's no law you could hold up to this that compares with the fruit that the Spirit produces. So, what do we do then with our flesh? Verse 24 Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. This is key, friends. It's time we stopped treating our fleshly passions as desires and desires as friends. It's time that we view them as they truly are. They're foes. They're foes. I can look back on many times in my life where I was treating my fleshly passions and desires as a friend and not a foe. Gluttony, 
sloth, laziness, lust of the eyes and of the flesh, envy, jealousy. We play around with these in our hearts like Play-Doh. We know it's not right, but I just do it in the dark. Nobody knows about it. Friends, it eats us alive. And we think, oh, this will give me maybe momentary pleasure. A few minutes on, online looking at porn or whatever, that will give me a few moments of pleasure. You know, if I, if I harbor that, that bitterness just a little while longer, if I can just imagine the daggers going into that person, ooh, it gives me some satisfaction. If I could just think about that boss that drives me nuts on that day when I can walk out, when I quit and I give him the middle finger and I just walk out, ooh, man, I, I just can't wait for that day. Bitterness, envy, strife. We're like Gollum with the ring, my precious, yet it poisons, poisons us by the day. We must, we must, friends, discern the deception of our day. This world, Satan, and our own selves would love to tell us, hey, we're okay. Our desires, they're natural. They're neutral. Hey, you know what? They're even good but the Bible gives us a clear picture. Our passions and desires of the flesh, they are not friends, they are foes, they are evil, they are wicked, they are deadly enemies. And so what does Paul say? Those who belong to Christ Jesus, they coddle the passions of the flesh. Those who are in Christ Jesus kind of just lay the passions of the flesh to rest. They set them down for a while. No, Paul says this, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. It's taking it and putting it on a piece of wood and nailing it to never take it down again. Friends, your passions of your flesh, they're out to kill you. Satan would love to use them to kill you, to cause division in this church and in this community, to besmirch his holy name in our communities and on your jobs. So friends, if there's anything that we can be warned about from Scripture today, it's this. Be warned about the passions of your flesh. Do not play with them. Do not coddle them. Jesus said, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. Why? Because it's better for you to lose an eye or a limb and be entering into God's kingdom than your whole body be throwing into hell. Friends, oh, it's time for us to start crucifying the flesh with its passions and desires because that enslaves us. But Jesus gives us freedom. Verse 25, he says, if really it's since we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. You see, the key to living in freedom is you gotta follow the right leader. You gotta follow the right leader. Don't follow the leader of your sinful passions and flesh. Follow the leader that Jesus has given to you and given to me, the Spirit walking in him. So I want to ask you today, as we get prepared to close, which path are you walking on? Are you walking on the path of the flesh that leads to enslavement? Are you walking on the path of freedom, of the spirit that leads to life and to peace? Paul makes it abundantly clear. Friends, if you feel enslaved today, and whether you feel it or not, if we're all in sin, we're all enslaved to sin. We're all enslaved to the law. But the gospel plus nothing liberates us. It sets us free. That's the good news, friends. This is a hard call for you and me. Pastor Hang, he led us before we sang the song, if more of you means less of me, take everything. 
Boy, that's hard for me to say. I was sitting right on the front row. I was like, Lord, here I am on the front row of this church. I'm about to get ready to preach right now. And I'm struggling to say it today. If more of you means less of me, Lord, take everything. Because everything else, if it's added to you, will just enslave me. But you have promised true liberation. You have promised true freedom. So the key is, who do we follow? Who do we follow? What path do we take? Do we take either path of self? Do I walk down this path of self? Now, there's several paths that lead to the same destination. One of them is self-righteousness. One of them is self-indulgence and self-expression. But guess what they both lead to? Enslavement and death. But God is saying through his word today, follow the path that I've laid out for you. The path of walking in the spirit. That path leads to life and freedom and true liberation. Friend, if you're here today and you feel like I've been living like Gollum too long, I want to live in freedom. Jesus wants to give that to you today. Today. When we look to him, when we crucify the flesh and we say, Lord Jesus, I want to follow you, my leader, through the Holy Spirit. What does this mean for Monday? Real quickly. We've been talking about this, walking by the Spirit. What does that even mean? What does that look like? I'll give you three ways, very briefly. How do I walk by the Spirit? First of all, you've got to listen to the Spirit. Listen to the Spirit. I have a couple of verses there for you. John 16, 13, Colossians 3, 16. Colossians 3, 16 says this. Paul writes, let the word of Christ, and it's also the word of the Spirit, let the word of Christ abide in you, dwell in you, live in you abundantly, richly. Read and listen to the word of God. Listen to his word. Don't listen to the lies of this world. Listen to the truth that God has given you to set you free. Friends, so many of you, so me too, oftentimes we live defeated. We lived enslaved. Why? We're enslaved to the lies of this world. Oh, that we'd listen to the spirit. That we'd listen to him. That's how we walk in him first. We listen to his word. Are you listening to his word? Not, not just a little bit, but a lot. I have to tell you, the, the thing that's grown me up, and it is growing me up. I don't want to say growing me up. I still got a long way to go. The thing that is growing me up as a follower of Jesus, it's not my seminary education. It's not my commentaries. It's not my library. You know what it is? Reading the Bible a lot. Reading the Bible a lot. There is something about it that it just, it washes my soul. It cleans out the sin. It points me to Jesus. It sets me free. Friend, if you want to walk in the Spirit, listen to the Spirit. Where, how do you listen to Him? Read His Word aloud and you can hear His voice. Read His Word. Listen to His voice. Look at His words. It has a cleansing effect on your life. How else do I walk by the Spirit? The New Testament also says we're called to pray in the Spirit. Pray in the Spirit. I've got some verses there for you from Romans, Ephesians, and Jude. Praying in the Spirit is, is paired with persevering and enduring through hardships, temptations, and trials from these verses. It's not just this random just praying in the Spirit, closing your eyes, and going in a trance. No, it's praying in the Spirit is when you feel the pressure, when you feel the battle is going on, when you feel the war is being waged in your heart, in your mind. That's when you cry out. Romans says that the Spirit prays right alongside you with groans and moans that, that you can't even understand. He's calling out on your behalf to God. Sometimes, friends, it's time that we got on our knees and waited when the battle is hard. We give in way too fast. I give in way too fast. 
And we give in because we don't pray in the Spirit. We shoot up a few sentences and a few words and, and, and a few little platitudes and then we walk away and we feel as defeated as when we started. Oh, friends, in our small groups, in our homes, in our church services, in our men's one-on-ones and in our ladies' ladders that we will learn to pray in the Spirit together. When I'm with a brother and he's going through a hard time and he's feeling the weight of temptation, brother, let's pray in the Spirit. Let us pray and wait. Spirit, we can't do this. We're like Gollum. We're going to be defeated. Oh, we need you. And he says, I will give you power. I will show you the path, the liberation. I will remind you of my word. Praying in the Spirit. Sometimes you got to pray until you pray. Pray until you pray. Pray until you feel that connection. I know that I'm speaking the words God wants me to say, and he's hearing me right now. Thirdly and finally, how do I walk in the Spirit? I've already alluded to it. We walk with others who are walking by the Spirit. We encourage each other, and all the more as we see the final day approaching, don't give up. Don't lose heart. Don't go back to slavery. Don't give in to the passions of your flesh. Let's walk in the Spirit together. We encourage each other to not lose heart. Friends, I need you. And you need me. And you need the person that's sitting across from you in that aisle. We need each other so that we can encourage each other to keep walking by the Spirit. I'm going to invite the band up as we close our service here today. But I want to ask you, you may be here today and you may feel like, I, I, I feel as enslaved sin as I've ever felt in my life. Friends, I'm so glad you're here today if that's you. I'm so glad you're here. You know, there, there's probably better churches you could be in in America, but there isn't a church that has a better gospel. There's not a church that has a better gospel than the one we have here, the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want to invite you today, if you've never been set free and liberated through the hope of Jesus, if you feel like Gollum, you feel enslaved to the ring of power of sin in your life, Jesus is coming. He's saying, I want to set you free. I want to set you free. How do I do that? We look to Jesus. We confess our sins. And we say, Lord, if all of you means less of me, take everything. I look to you. You're my Savior. You're my Lord. Set me free from sin. If you want to do that today, we would love to pray with you. We'd love to talk with you. We'd love to help you understand. And if you have any questions about the gospel and what it means to be a follower of Jesus, we'd love to share that with you. But I ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. We're going to pray before we sing one more song. And I, I just want to ask you today, if, if you feel enslaved, don't go back to slavery. The law won't set you free. If you feel the passions of the flesh waging war in your soul, crucify them today. Look to Jesus and walk by the Spirit. That's the path to freedom. Maybe there's some today that they're followers of Jesus, but you've been pointing in the wrong direction, pointing in the direction of, 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 of slavery, whether it's through self-righteousness or self-indulgence. Friend, today, you can feel liberated through Jesus. Friends, I, I hope that we would be a people that are free, not flaunting our freedom, not bragging about our freedom, but boasting in the one who has set us free. I'll give you about 10 seconds just to reflect.
have you been enslaved? Think about that for a moment.